And as you're seated, I encourage you to take out your Bible and turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, where Paul read earlier from verses 10 through 13. I'm going to read that again so it's fresh on our minds. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. Let's pray. Gracious Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Your word is life. Your word equips us for every good work. And so, Lord, we pray that this morning that your word would do its work in our hearts and in our minds, and that as a result, we'll be better equipped for living in this present age with the hope of the fulfillment of our salvation when Christ returns or takes us home. So, Lord, we we surrender our time, our will, and our hearts to you. Lord, do in us as you will. And we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You know, in the middle of all the disappointments and struggles and trials, the suffering that our brother Matt talked about last week, and just the overall direction of the world. The, the fact is that we may be sometimes tempted to wonder, if this is my story, why go on? Why go on? If it's going to be this hard, if it's going to be this miserable, if it's going to be this kind of hopeless, why go on? And there are some here who've lost loved ones. You're dealing with things in your family, even right now, that you can't hardly even think about this message that we're going to do because those thoughts are overwhelming. Maybe it's the thought of bills or struggles at work that you're worried that this week may be it on the last paycheck. It may be your health. There's so many things right now that are consuming the thoughts and minds of each one of us. And in times like that, it's helpful to get a bigger picture, to pull ourselves out of the middle of what we're in, not denying that reality, but seeing the bigger reality. And in our passage today, Paul does that for us. He gives us the equivalent of like this vast drone view of salvation's wonder and glory. Have you noticed in movies of late, it seems like almost every other one has this magnificent drone shot, right? As you're there with, maybe you travel along in the car and all of a sudden you're outside the car and it's zooming back, 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 back and you see this car going through the streets or, or you're out on the countryside and, and, and they're riding the horse and all of a sudden it pans back as the drone zooms up in the air and it's like, oh, that's beautiful. Or, oh no, they're chasing him. Look what's behind him. We didn't see that before, right? That's kind of what we see here. A, 
a bit of the storyline is exposed as Paul goes from here with the with the the beloved believers scattered abroad and says, "Hey, this is bigger than you. This is a little bit bigger than just where you live right now." Peter provides a sweeping perspective of salvation story to shape our thinking about our present reality and our future hope. We've talked a lot about that future hope, that living hope. But it doesn't always feel so living, right? And he's here to a little bit of a, guys, this is bigger than us. This is incredible. It's kind of what I imagine when, when, when basketball players walk onto the campus at University of Kansas and they go into the, the shrine of Allen Fieldhouse. For those of you that don't like sports, just play along. <laughs> and my buddy was there this week and he said, I never thought I would be here in Fog Allen Fieldhouse with the rules for the game that James Naismith wrote out, that he typed out on a typewriter. They're there. You can't touch them. They're behind glass, but they're right there. And, and then I look up in the rafters and I see Wilt Chamberlain and, and these other names. And it's kind of like, oh, do we need to talk quietly? There's a sense of wonder. There's a sense of, I'm part of something bigger when I step onto this court, right? And folks, that, I believe, is in part what our brother Peter does here. He's, he, in this passage, he pulls us back and says, Oh, friends, this salvation concerning this salvation that I've been talking about, it's kind of a big deal. You see, prophets prophesied. The Holy Spirit worked. The prophets investigated. Then people proclaimed it to you. And now you believe. And the angels, the angels are craning their necks to look into it. They want to see. It's so wondrous. As we look at this today, as his drone shot pulls back and reveals that there's so much more to our salvation, this whole salvation history, than what we could ever, well, not than we could ever, but what we naturally see or what we naturally think about in the busyness, in the midst of the suffering, and sometimes in the midst of our just existing. You see, this, per, this perspective that Peter shares is extremely important on how we then think about life. How do we live right now? And then it, it shapes ultimately how we live in light of the salvation which God has provided by grace. We're part of a grander story that's not only wondrous, but one that should leave us full of hope. And should ultimately, we're going to see when we look into uh, chapter, the verse 13, that it should motivate us to action. Not just worship that sits in wonder, but worship that moves us to action. You see in verse 10, Peter wrote, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. The first part of that is what we want to look at here concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about that grace that was to be yours. You see, our salvation, that grace that is now ours, back then it was to be ours, now it is ours, right? Our salvation far surpasses our current reality. 
It's not just about what our current condition, but it's also not just about what is to come. This is a grander story that God has in his infinite wisdom been planning before the foundation of the world. This is a big thing. Salvation is not just a concept to understand, but an eternal reality in which we have the joy of existing. And while the message is a simple message, right? The salvation's history, its wonder, its fulfillment, and the blessing for us is far greater than our minds begin to fathom. I think much of heaven will be looking back in wonder. Oh my word. Look what... Look what you did. Look what was said. And we never caught that. We never caught that in the Old Testament. You were talking about this. I feel like that when I read Jesus quoting the Psalms. I read that and go, when I read the Psalms, that's not what I took away. And Jesus is saying, no, that applied to me. Right? And, and I can only imagine what it will be like when, when I'm in heaven and have that understanding. Well, right now, we're so consumed with everything else, we really struggle with understanding this big picture, how we're part of something so much more, so much bigger than us. Have you ever stood somewhere, maybe in a historical place, that when you stood there, it sort of moved you? Maybe it moved you in a sense of, of awfulness, like Sachsenhausen, Work camp over in, in Germany. That one, I've been twice, and it is, it is a devastating visit. As you think and ponder on the horrible things that were done to human pe- humans by other humans, right? And scores of them. Another one was, was the Alamo down in San Antonio. To stand there and think, people died right here. Literally, through that window, people were, were giving their life trying to, to save this ground. Maybe it was the battlefield at Gettysburg to stand up there and to think that the men who stood in this spot and rushed into this place, most of them died. Most of them died. That is, that is an awful thing to stand in that place. But one that I remember so very well was standing in Independence Hall in Philadelphia. And to stand there and to think, George, George Washington and Ben Franklin and John Hancock and, you know, these other guys actually were in this room. And they put together a document that still affects me today. I live sort of in part of that document as I get to live in this great nation as a result of the work these men did back here. And you could hear it. It was a hot day. It was in the middle of the summer in Philadelphia. It stinks like Philadelphia always stinks. And, and you walk in and people are talking outside, but then you walk in and it gets quiet. Because it's not, it's not a sense of worship, but a sense of, oh, this is a little bigger than little old me. Right? And that is, I hope, what understanding the history of salvation does for us. Peter provides perspective for us by speaking of the story of grace that was prophesied in times past. You see, the prophets did experience God's grace. You understand that Old Testament people did experience God's grace. They were alive. 
You understand that's God's grace. That's His, His great common grace towards all. But, but it was even greater than that. They experienced, these prophets experienced the, the Spirit of God in them. They, th- I mean, that's a gracious gift. They got to, to be used by God. They were blessed by God with, with the law that, that was to direct them to God and to instruct them in God. That was a gift of God. But the beautiful thing is that they had an understanding that there was a grace to come that was greater than anything they had ever experienced. They spoke of a better time and of a future grace that they knew they were not yet experiencing. They knew it was coming, but they didn't know when or through what person. And that's what we're going to see in a moment that they look for. They, in a similar way, while we understand that the grace of God came in the person of Jesus Christ some 2,000 years ago, we get that privilege we still look forward to an even better day, don't we? Like they looked forward to a better day, we look forward to a better day when our salvation is revealed, as Peter noted in verse 7. The prophets look forward in hope towards Christ, and Christ came in the same way we look forward to the return of Christ, and He will come. Peter says that we have a unique vantage point that these Old Testament prophets didn't have. So we can look back and see Christ's life. We see Him live a perfect, righteous, sinless life. And we see the miracles that were recorded by the eyewitnesses. We see His saving death and His resurrection. We read His Word. We read His promises. And we see how the church grew and spread through the book of Acts throughout the world in spite of persecution. All of this should serve to give us a sense of confidence. A sense of, man... Peter's talking about the suffering and stuff, but, but look, the gospel has arrived to us and it's continuing to grow. We can, we can stand. Friends, you can stand. Our dear friends in the Ukraine can stand. Our brothers and sisters in Christ can stand. Our, our, our friends in China, our brothers and sisters in China who are facing increasing persecution, they can stand. Because they're not alone. They aren't just all about them. They aren't, they aren't the, the latest thing in church. They are of a long line of salvation story. And they, are, they, they can look back with confidence at what has happened, enable, in, enabling them to look forward with confidence at the fulfillment of their salvation one day. Chuck, Chuck Swindoll puts it this way. Looking into the future, the Old Testament prophets didn't have a clear picture of God's full plan. They saw, as it were, two mountain peaks, Mount Golgotha and Mount Olivet. On Golgotha, Jesus would die in humility and disgrace. On Olivet, he would return in glory and power. They saw the peaks, but from their vantage point, they couldn't see the great valley that stretched between the two mountains. And those two mountains represent the age of the church. You see, the prophets of old might not have been able to see clearly the age in which we live. They, they looked forward and saw, okay, there's the, the arrival of the Messiah and His suffering and, and, and His death. And we see there's glories promised. And we see that, oh, man, that, that's, that's beautiful. But they had no sense of the time between, right? And we're living in that time. And sometimes that time feels awfully long. Awfully tiresome, awfully difficult. And what 
Peter says here is that it's okay. The prophets didn't see it fulfilled, but it came. You saw it fulfilled, but you're waiting just like they were. And, and we're going to get to the angels shortly, but, but let's look into this. What did the prophets do? They couldn't see it. But that didn't keep them from trying to understand what was going to happen. They might not have been able to see clearly the grace that was to be ours. But man, they were diligent in their pursuit of it. We see that in verses 10 and 11, really 10b and 11. It says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours and now is ours, they searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ, right? That's his life and death, burial. And then the glories, subsequent glories, that which would follow. Why were they so intent on this search? I mean, wasn't their job just to prophesy? Just, here it is, guys. Well, that was a job given to them. But if you were told to write something down and say something that is grand and glorious that you didn't really know what it meant, you knew kind of what it meant, what it was pointing to, but you really didn't know how it was going to play out, don't you think you would want to figure it out? Go, man, let's, what does this mean? When's it going to happen? Is this like next year? Is this... Five years, ten years, what's the plan here, Lord? I want, to, I want to understand this. Our salvation is far more glorious than we think, but they understood that. They understood that there was something grand and glorious going to happen. They just didn't know how and what, so they dug into it. They died. They died without ever knowing and experiencing what we have today. You know, we see here, they prophesied, they searched, and inquired carefully. These verbs help us understand the intensity behind this. And not only do we see that they searched and inquired, then it specifically gets in on what they inquired about. They wanted to understand the specifics of who and when this is going to happen. And, and so as they looked at that, they clearly couldn't nail it down. They didn't know the time. They didn't know the who. They had this description, but again, it didn't stop them from looking. Think of this, though. They were so confident in it that God's plan was moving forward that they understood this this was a plan that was set. They understood the providence of God, the power of God. And the fulfillment of God's promises in a way that sometimes I think we we lack. They were like, okay, tell us how this is going to happen. And sometimes, and I'm guilty, as I look at prophecy, I can be like, oh, man, it's really good. And 30% of the Bible is prophecy. But I study it and I still don't fully understand it. Anybody with me? Now, some of us are like, yeah, I want to study prophecy. The fact is, I've heard a lot of people that study a lot of prophecy. And you know where they end? It's about where I'm at. They write a book and I get done reading their book. And they've either gone too far into saying this is what it is and this is what it is and this is what it is. And then 10 years later, you go, well, that wasn't right. Um, or they get to the end and say, this is how we understand it to be. And But that should not keep us from studying prophecy. 
We should search. We should investigate and see, Lord, I want to understand the times for the days are evil. I want to know. Now, he's not going to reveal to you a time where it's made clear in Scripture, but we should understand the seasons, right? They got that. They understood with confidence. Hey, God said it's going to happen. It's going to happen. We want to know when and by whom, right? They pursued it. Jesus spoke of this desire in Matthew thirteen seventeen. For truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed, longed to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. What is it they longed to see? The Messiah. The grace that appeared in the person of Jesus Christ. They longed to hear Him speak the words of life. They longed to know Him. Here's how Isaiah foresaw what would take place in our day, or in that day, including our day. Isaiah 29, 18 through 19 says, In that day, the deaf shall hear the words of a book. Let me read that again. In that day, the deaf will hear the words of a book, and out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind shall see. The meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord, and the poor among mankind will exult in the Holy One of Israel. You see, they longed and looked to understand the person of time through which the grace would appear, bringing the hope of God to the deaf and blind through the words of a book. Folks, we have that book. We have the person. We know the times in which He appeared. And we are the ones who have this unspeakable joy that Isaiah looked forward to. We were the deaf. We were the blind. But He gave us sight. He opened our eyes, spiritual eyes to see. And He opened our deaf ears to hear that we might know Him and have the words of life that Isaiah longed to be part of. See, I think Isaiah would gladly have time-traveled to this time to swap time, to swap lives with any one of us. And you're like, oh, not my life. Oh, Isaiah didn't have a perfect, wonderful, happy life. And he didn't know the grace of God as you have experienced the indwelling of His Spirit, the forgiveness of your sin and the hope of eternal life as you experience in the same way. You see, they, Peter's comments in Acts 3.24 make it clear that many, if not all the prophets, understood that there was something coming and they looked for it. It says, indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets have foretold these days. That reveals a broad range of prophecies which relate to the person, the time, and the glories to come. Which, when we think of the glories, think resurrection, the ascension, and His return when He comes back again. Given that it was those things that really speak of His future glories, it may have been Daniel 7 that was being referred to by Peter, that was in his mind when he wrote this. Daniel seven thirteen and 14, I don't have this on the screen, but listen to, to this description. From Daniel, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. Sound familiar? And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. 
And to him was given dominion and glory and kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Think of hearing that not from where you sit, where you look back through the lens of the of the New Testament, but hearing that and saying this one is coming. This is what we're looking forward to. And to go, Daniel, what do you mean? What do you, t- when's, when's that, who exactly is that? And Daniel go, that's a good question. You know, I, I'm wondering the same thing myself. I have some, uh, some thoughts on that. I, you know, as I look back over the rest of the, 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 the Hebrew scriptures, I, I think I have some thoughts of, of what that's going to look like. But, Man, to experience as we do what wise and godly people of ages past hungered to understand should make us thankful and cause us to take time to delight in it. To be here today and to think of, of how those men of old served us. And that's what it says. They served not themselves, but you. To think how they served us. How did they serve us? They wrote it down. Big deal. They just, God told them to and they did it. Well, how did that serve you? Well, when we come to each Christmas, almost without fail, we make reference to Old Testament prophecies that give us a sense of confidence and assurance that the reality of who Christ is and what He has done is the real deal. These brothers of old wrote it down and, and recorded it so that we could be served in that way. It's the authentic, the message is authenticated based on the comparison of what we have and what they wrote down. Believe it or not, tired people, hurting people, I know, I was woke up, woken up at 2.55 last night too, with those loud sirens, hurting people, people in pain, we are blessed beyond measure. And I could stand up here and be a rah-rah guy and rant and cheer and all that. But this is a deeper truth that isn't about just whipping people up. It is a solid Firm conviction based in the truth of the Old Testament carried forward and fulfilled in the person of Christ that we can stand. We can stand. Our brothers and sisters in Ukraine can stand and go, Lord, who do I serve? Who do I serve? Where where do you need the church? What do you need us to do? It's not just about winning a war. It's about living out the mission of the church. You see, we need this reminder. Some of us need it at this very moment. Because you're so immersed in your trial that it's hard to think about anything else. You can't see anything else. You can't think about it. It's overwhelming to you. And Peter says, oh, friend, oh, friend, you're in a long line of sufferers. You're in a long line of people that haven't experienced the salvation to its fullness. But friend, the time is coming and it is certain. You have something the Old Testament prophets never had. And yet I know you don't have it all yet. 
But just as you saw it, as they saw it coming, and you see the future coming, it, the confidence can be yours. Pastor and commentator Juan Sanchez writes, In spite of their present suffering, Peter's readers live in a privileged time, a time when the Messiah had come, and when the Spirit is no longer pointing forward to His coming through the words of the prophets, but proclaiming His coming through the words of believers. It was a time not only in fulfillment, it was also a time of salvation. We too live in that time. Whoever you are, wherever you live and whatever your life is like, if you trust Christ, then Isaiah would gladly time travel to your day. You see, I think not only do we understand the bigness of the grandeur and wonder and glory of our salvation, but there here in in this is a thread that I think should give us immeasurable confidence. Look at this. And there's a couple of phrases in in verses 11 and 12 I want to pull out. And, and, and I think it will be a huge encouragement to us. Inquiring what person or time, look at this, the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating. In whom? The prophets. Who was in them? The Spirit of Christ. What do you mean? Here's the Spirit of Christ. You know, Jesus hadn't come yet. Who's he talking about? Well, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. But he, but he uses the phrase Spirit of Christ. In other words, it wasn't just a work pointing to Christ. It was a work of Christ back then. This speaks to the preexistent nature of Jesus Christ. Christ was existent then. And in the oneness of the Trinity, the Spirit that, that was in these prophets moving in them just as well have been Jesus Himself. It was the Spirit of Christ. But that's not all we want to point out here. The Spirit was working back then. The Holy Spirit prophesying. But look where it goes. When he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Did those happen? Yes and yes. Mostly. Still more to come. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you and the things that have now been announced to you. How? Through those who preach the good news to you by whom? The Holy Spirit. Sent from heaven. Okay, now you may not, this may not get you, but this, this was cool to me. Alright? You can just get it. I like to study. I'm one of those weird people. I love to get in my office and when things sort of come off the page, you're like, that's pretty cool. Listen to this. So, and I know you know this. This isn't new, but this is cool. The Holy Spirit, through the, it's called the Spirit of Christ at work in these prophets way back here. Who made that happen? Who made the prophecy happen? Holy Spirit. Okay, so then who jump, you know, thousand, few hundred years later, who is it that is making the proclamation happen? The Holy Spirit. Who opens the eyes of the blind? Holy Spirit. Who seals you to the day of redemption? The Holy Spirit. Folks, I'm telling you what. If you understand this and you sit in the midst of your struggle and your suffering and you think, man, my story is not that big. My story is not that, not that impressive. The Holy Spirit's involved in your story. The Holy Spirit way back there was working so that you would have this news to hear and He brought it to you through someone who spoke the truth through you, to you. And now He is working in you to keep you until the day of your full redemption. You want to say that your story is no big deal? Tell that to the Holy Spirit. 
He's all in on your story. Because your story isn't just your story. It's not ultimately about you. He is working in and through you to present a bride spotless before the worthy lamb who was slain. And one day we will look backwards at all this once we do see the full glories of the one who came and and lived and died for us. And then we will with the host of heaven say, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Right now, we go, yeah, he's worthy, but it's hard. Yes, but your confidence can be strong. Your confidence can be strong. Our salvation is far more certain than we think. And I want to just I run through some quick passages that reveal sort of the, this working of the Spirit. First, Second Peter 1.21, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men from God... Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit produced the prophecies. Then the Holy Spirit spoke through preachers from the early church, even to this day, Acts 4.31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they gathered was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And then the Holy Spirit confirmed the truthfulness and dependability of the gospel we find in the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, verse 4. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles by the gift of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. He's, he, he was building that early church and now we are indwelt, empowered and sealed by that same spirit. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, in whom you also When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And listen to this. This is the confidence. That same spirit that brought you all the way to there. What is he? He is the guarantee of our inheritance. Wait, we talked about that inheritance two weeks ago, I think. That imperishable, undefiled and never fading, right? That Inheritance is guaranteed for you as a believer to the praise of His glory. The Spirit of God has been working a long time on this. He's not done. And He's not specifically done with you no matter where you stand. But that salvation, as wondrous as we comprehend it right now, we don't wonder at it like the angels do. That's a little tag on, could be a throwaway at the end of this, but is a glorious, glorious phrase. When I was sharing with my dad last night on the phone what I was going to be talking about, maybe a little excited about it on the, on the phone, he's like, well, you won't have any lack of stuff to talk about, especially that last phrase. You know, I don't know if we have a lot to say about this last phrase, but this should just cause us to stand back and go, oh, the wonder of it all. You see, because when our salvation is far more, far more wondrous than we think. Ephesians 1, 12b says that these are things in which the angels long to look. That word long is translated from a Greek word which means to extend one's neck. To picture craning your neck like, what, what, what's going on? 
It's the idea. Um, it's it's similar to the word when we look into the perfect law, which gives liberty. In James, same word. The idea they would often have a a mirror that would be on a table, and they would crane their neck to look down into it and see. Or ladies doing your makeup, and you got one of those magnifier mirrors on the on the glass, and you're like craning your neck to see in there to more beautify yourself. Right? Um, you're you're moving your neck to get a better perspective on things. The angels want a better perspective. I think we should, right? But what exactly is it that they want to see? You see, the salvation story's been unfolding before them. They've had a front row seat all the way through. Kinda. But they're spectators. They're just spectators. Oh, they, they might be sent out to carry out the commands of God. But they don't know it like we do. They don't experientially know it like we do. You see, Ephesians 3.10 says that so th- that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Those angels are watching the church. They are witnesses of what God is doing in His church, through His church, through the members of his church, and they are learning. It class is on. What is it that they're learning? Have you ever thought about this? Angels can never experience the forgiveness of God. They, w- they cannot know the mercy of God experientially. They can witness it, but where would they witness it if it wasn't in the church? Where are they going to see it? Where did they see it before, before the fall? Where had they seen the mercy of God? Where had they seen the patience of God? Where had they seen such amazing love that even an enemy could be made a friend and, and, and that friend an heir and, and be given all these blessings in heavenly places? Oh, the wonder of that love that they would see. That they, that where would they, else would they see that little guy from Waverly, Kansas come to saving knowledge of Christ in fourth grade? Where else would they see you? As a, as a trophy of grace. Friend, this is no small thing. The angels are looking and watching to see the magnificent glory of God displayed in His church. And, and if you don't think that should give you confidence, do you think God's going to let them down? God's like, I'm not done yet. Read Revelation. I'm not done. Folks, the angels are amazed. They long to look into these things, to keep watching this unfold, to see the grace of God and the strength of God by the power of His Spirit in your life, in the midst of your suffering. See, how's He going to do this? How's He going to make something beautiful out of this? How's He going to bring glory to His name and work it together for the good of this one who's lost their friend, is, is struggling through, through some legal issue, who is going through hardship of various trials of all kinds? How's He going to do this? Let's watch. Gabriel, come here. <laughs> I don't think many people tell Gabriel what to do. Um, but nonetheless, folks, it's not a small thing. No, it's not about us. We're not the main players in this story. But don't go the other direction and say it doesn't matter. You're just a little pawn. No, we're small, we're insignificant, but we're part of a grand story. 
and we're part of His glorious church. And that is, that is so humbling and, and amazing that it has to be to us a wondrous story. Francis Raleigh wrote a song that I remember singing as a child. I will sing the wondrous story of the Christ who died for me, how He left His home in glory for the cross of Calvary. I was lost, but Jesus found me, found the sheep that went astray, threw his loving arms around me, drew me back into his way. And listen to this one. I I honestly didn't remember this one. Don't know if that was one of them that we skipped. You know, there's always that one verse that you skip. I don't know why you'd ever skip this one. I was bruised, but Jesus healed me. Faint was I from many a fall. Sight was gone and fears possessed me, but he freed me from them all. Days of darkness still come over me. Sorrow's path I often tread, but the Savior still is with me. By His hand, I'm safely led. This salvation story is your reality if you're in Christ. It is such a glorious, wondrous, and certain reality that you need to let your, sink your roots down into. And that, I think, is where we go next week in verse 13. Having had our roots sunk down into this strong, amazing story of, of, of his, salvation's history, we see that there's a fruit that comes. There's action that comes. It's not to be just said here like, well, that was a good sermon. We really were inspired by that sermon today. Inspired to what? Inspired to action? That's what Peter says. In the very next verse, he says, therefore, preparing your minds for action. Therefore, what? He, we just spent a day on it. That's what therefore. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Don't be, don't be a apathetic. Don't be overwhelmed. Don't just give up. He says, prepare your mind for action. It's ready to get in the game. It's on. And you're part of it. The prophets, the ones who proclaimed it to you, and now you. You get to go and be ambassadors for Christ. You get to proclaim the excellencies of Christ, right? He says in chapter 2, get in the game. Get in the game. Be part of this glorious salvation story, the one to which angels long to look. Folks, there's another reality, and, and this is a reality that we don't, love to talk about. But it's a reality that I would be remiss in sharing if we didn't deal with it. Because everything I've said today is a a reality for every believer in Jesus Christ. If you by faith have come to a saving knowledge of Christ, you've come to Him and, and can repented of your sins and by faith have trusted in His righteousness and His death. This is your story. But friend, if you're here today and you don't know Christ, you have not by faith trusted in Him as your Savior, then it is not a glorious reality I share with you. It is a fearful future that is your reality. And friend, I invite you to come. Come unto Him and find rest. Find forgiveness. Find hope. And find a salvation that is full and certain in the person of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 2.3 says, How shall we escape 
if we neglect such a great salvation. It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. For the one who has not come to faith in Christ yet, this morning, I bid you come. As an ambassador for Christ, I bid you come. Come. And know Him as the one who has been at work in this salvation work and to this day calls you through His Word to come. And I pray that you will. Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank You for Your Word which gives life, as we said at the beginning. And I pray that Your Word would give life even in this moment, that You would open the eyes of some that are here, some that are watching online, that they might hear for the first time and see for the first time the truth of their need for Christ, that they are indeed a sinner lost and facing an eternal hell apart from the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. And help them to see just the confidence they can have in coming to You and placing their faith in the One who gave His life as a ransom for sinners. So Lord, may You work now. And Lord, for all who have come, all who are part of this salvation story even now, may You stir our hearts with confidence, with hope, and an assurance that causes us to go out of here, preparing our minds for action, sober-minded, thinking right about the time in which we live. But Lord, may we be people of action, knowing that our hope's certain. It's, it's in the bank. And let us make withdrawals on that living hope day by day by day. And may that show up in the joy that we have in the, in the gospel that we share and in the persevering nature of our daily lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If this morning you need prayer, Paul Radcliffe, one of our elders, will be down front praying. We'll have elders at the door. We'd love to pray with you. Love to visit with you if you have questions about this great salvation.